This morning we're uh, having our second in our series of Sound Doctrine, where we're looking at key doctrines of the Christian faith. Um, and it's also going to be maybe a little bit more um, intense, heavy going. You, you need your thinking caps on. I hope you got a coffee on the way in. Um, will you pray with me as we come to look at God's Word and come to hear the God who speaks? So well, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, um, we gather as your people, and we gather not to hear just my words or Shona's words or... Uh, the words of a song, but we gather to hear you speak. We gather to hear the voice of the living God as we read your word together. And so, Lord, we now pray that your spirit will work in our hearts so as we hear your word, we might listen, that we might trust, and that we might obey. We pray these things in the great name of Jesus, your final word. Amen. A magician never reveals his secrets. A magician never reveals his secrets. Now, I'm not about to pull a magic stunt on you. A, ne- a magician never reveals his secrets unless it is mandated by a court, uh, which is exactly what happened to David Copperfield, the world's most famous magician. Uh, in 2013, he was performing in Vegas. Uh, he concluded his show with a signature trick, Lucky 13. He kind of throws 13 massive exercise balls out into the crowd and whoever grabs one comes down to the stage and he gets them all up on stage, all these people, and then he covers them with a curtain and he makes them disappear. It's amazing. And then they reappear only moments later at the back of the auditorium. Uh, but this one time in 2013, one of the participants slipped and dislocated his shoulder and then sued the magician for damages. And so before a full court with media and witnesses, and despite the desperate pleas of his lawyers to keep the secret under wraps, David Copperfield had to reluctantly reveal the secret to his trick. He had to put it out there for the world to know. You know what it was? It's really not that hard. It's just a secret passageway. Um, That's all it was. Just uh, when you know that there's a secret passageway that gets the people from the stage to the back of the room, it's not that special anymore. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a hard secret to discover. Now, this morning we're going to look at a God who has not just revealed a secret trick, but a God who has revealed himself to us by his words. And knowing that God is, is, is much more important than knowing a magic trick. See, the questions of who is God? What is God like? They're actually the biggest questions that any human could hope to have answered because For us, it's impossible to truly fully understand this world. It's impossible for us to understand life in this world. It's impossible for us to understand how we ought to live in this world apart from knowing God. And that's what we're going to think about this morning. How can we know God? Um, And I begin with great news. The great news is that the true and living God, the creator and the sustainer of all things, this God can be known. He can be known truly. He can be known by you and me, just regular people. In fact, we can know more than just kind of things about God. The Bible says that we can know God personally. Like we might know a friend or a family member. We can be in relationship with him because he has made himself known. He has made himself known because he is the God who speaks. He is the God who speaks. Uh, But to begin with, uh, we need to look at some of the ways that people have tried to know God. And we're going to begin with what uh, some people call is a God-shaped hole. One of the interesting things about the Bible is that the Bible never sets about uh, trying to explain the existence of God. 
The Bible doesn't kind of justify that God is there. God's existence is always presumed by the Bible. And it's not just that kind of God exists out there, but the Bible talks about us kind of all carrying around this kind of instinctive awareness of the reality of God in here. And some people talk about this as a kind of a God-shaped hole. Now, one of the places that we see this is in Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul turns up to the city of Athens and uh, he addresses a crowd and he says this. He says, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. You see, it's not just the Athenians, kind of there's this just general religiousness across all of humanity and throughout time and history. Uh, We're creatures that were made for worship. It's across time and it's across cultures, it's it's everywhere you look. And as a matter of fact, to believe that there is no God, to believe that there is no gods, no spirituality, that's actually incredibly rare. If you believe, if you genuinely believe there is no God, you are actually in a significant minority of people who have lived and who live now. Does anyone want to hazard a guess as to how many atheists there are on the planet at the moment? As a percentage? Any guesses? Sorry? Half a percent? Oh, you're more pessimistic than uh, me. But... um. The best estimates, the most generous estimates say that only 2% of the world's population are convinced that there is no God. That means of the 7.5 billion people who walk the planet at the moment, 7,350,000,000 of them believe there is some God or gods. They're not atheists. John Calvin, the great Bible teacher and reformer of the 16th century, he wrote these words. He said, there is within the human mind and and indeed by natural instinct an awareness of divinity. There is an awareness of divinity and we take this to be beyond controversy. He said our our instinctive knowledge of of, of divinity, that there is something there, is as core to us as the, the, the marrow in our bones. Some people call this the God shaped hole in all of us a need for God, a sense of eternity. That is, as humans, we all carry around, we all have it, we all feel it. And not only do we sense that there is a God in here, the world around us declares the existence and it declares to us the character of God. Uh, in Psalm 19, it's, you know, it's, hopefully it's going to come up on the screen, I'm pretty sure I got that one right. No, there's David Copperfield, there's the trick. Psalm 19. There we go, in Psalm 19. We read this, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Do you see what Psalm 19 is saying? Creation declares the glory of God to the world and to all humanity, throughout the world. Their voice, verse 4, goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. This, this, from, the, from the awesome splendor of distant galaxies to the beauty and intricacies of a microscopic cell, it's all been made by God. And it all declares the glory and the majesty of the Maker. I'm, I don't know if you've had that experience of being at a lookout 
and just being, having your breath taken away by the vastness and the beauty and the majesty of the world that God has made. Psalm 19 is tapping into that. But that doesn't really explain how we can know God. I mean, if we have this God-shaped hole, if, if creation reveals its creator, then, then why doesn't everyone walk around worshipping and following the God of the Bible? Why, why, why are there so few people who trust and follow Jesus? Why can't we just look at the world or look into our heart and get to know God? Well, the Apostle Paul explains it clearly. He explains the problem for us in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They suppress the truth by their wickedness since what, be, what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. See, Psalm 19 was right. The heavens declare the glory of God. What, but what is the problem? Well, Paul says the problem is our wickedness. We suppress the truth by our wickedness. Humanity's sinfulness means that we suppress the truth that's available to us in our hearts and the truth that's available to us in creation. The possibility exists for everyone, everywhere, to look at the world around them and to understand the eternal power and the divine nature of God. But rather than accepting that truth, rather than embracing that truth, every single one of us, we reject it. We suppress it. Our sin nullifies the testimony of creation. And in, instead of the God-shaped hole and the glories of creation drawing us near to our Creator, we fill that hole, we fill that yearning with things other than God, the Bible says. Replacing God with created things, worshipping the things that God has made rather than worshipping the God who made them. And the Bible calls this idolatry. Idolatry. And this is the human plight. Our sin, our brokenness, it gets in the way of the truth. And so we've, we've swapped God out. We've exchanged the creator for the creation. And we've turned our back on God and we've turned to idols. And really the evidence for this is everywhere that you, that you look, isn't it? I mean, humanity is kind of staggeringly inventive when it comes to creating gods to worship other than the true God. From the vast religions of Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism, from the, the cults of Mormonism and the Jehovah's Witness, to the religiosity of uh, cathedrals and temples, to the rise of kind of new spirituality or the rampant consumerism where we just go and gorge ourselves on stuff in the place of the God who made it all. The Bible is clear. We suppress the truth about God. We exchange the creator for the creation. And so tragically, that is our plight. We cannot come to know the truth of God on our own. We cannot figure it out ourselves. And it's not an intellectual problem. It's not that we're not smart enough. It's a spiritual problem, the Bible says. We are blinded by our sin. Our hearts are hard and they are broken. We are trapped in our idolatry. And so it's impossible for anyone to get to know the God who made us. It's impossible for them to get to know them on, his own, on their own. But there is good news. The good news of the Bible is this. 
God in his, his love and his mercy and his power. He has not left us alone. He has not left us to our own devices because we cannot overcome our sin to get to know God. So God has done that for us. Wonderfully, God has chosen to make himself known to us. In Hebrews chapter 1, we read this. In Hebrews chapter 1, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Just get your head around that. How amazing is it that the, the, the true and the living God speaks? He spoke in the past, as Hebrews chapter 1. In fact, right at the beginning of the Bible, it opens with God creating everything from nothing. And how does God create? He creates by speaking. That's one of the first things we discover about the, about the God of the Bible. He is a God who speaks. And it's really important to... To, to grasp that. It's really important to see that that is fundamental to who God is because speech is personal. Speech, words, communication, they're the things in which personal relationships are built. And the true and living God, He is a speaking God, which means He is a personal God. He is a relational God. Now, our church has some offices in Petoni and um, Every, every day or most days of the week, I, I head out there on my bike or in my car and then I come back to home to Johnsonville in the afternoon and literally every single day I come home, there is this man I see. He's walking the other way on the footpath next to the freeway. Every single day, the same man. Um, I can describe this man to you in great detail because I see him every single day. I don't know, people are nodding whether they see the same guy. He's, he's always walking, walking at a brisk pace, walking out to Petoni. Um, I always pass him on the freeway sometime between 4.30 and 5 p.m. Um, he has a moustache, quite an impressive moustache. He always has a backpack on and he looks like he's probably about in his 50s. Rain, hail or shine, this guy is walking down the freeway. I can tell you all about this guy, but I don't know him. For me to get to know this kind of mystery moustache marching man, I need to stop him one day and talk to him. I need to communicate with him. If I'm going to have a relationship with this guy, I can know all this stuff about him, but I need to actually sit down and exchange words with him. See, it's not like that with God. God, he has spoken to us. We don't have to guess about who God is and what he is like. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God enters into a relationship with his creation by speaking. He creates, he orders, he establishes it all by his word. And to humanity, the pinnacle of his creation, the ones made in his image, he speaks to them. He gives them words of blessing, words of promise and words of warning. And as humanity rejects God, they're expelled from the garden. As they reject his word, as they disbelieve his word, they are expelled from the garden and the tree of life. But the, the beautiful thing of the Bible is that God continues to speak to them. And then God chooses a people to be his own and a people through whom he'll bless the world. And what does he do? He does it by speaking to them. He spoke to Abraham. He made a covenant with Abraham by giving him his word. And we're told that Abraham heard the word of the Lord and he believed the word of the Lord. And it was through his belief, through trusting in the words that God had spoken, it's through his belief in God's word that he was called God's friend. Now that's incredible because here we have a rebellious, sinful man. 
And he was able to know God. He was able to become God's friend and he was able to do it because God made himself known to him. God spoke to him. God gave him his word. And and the man heard the word and believed the word and obeyed the word. And that's the sequence of events. It's pretty much the model for the rest of the Bible of how any sinful, rebellious, idolatrous person can come to know the true and living God. The sequence is this. God comes to them. He makes himself known to them through his personal word. And they hear the word and they trust that it's his word and they obey his word. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that that's how it occurred in the past. Abraham's descendants, the people of Israel, God spoke to them through the prophets, through men like Moses and Elijah and Jeremiah and Isaiah. Those guys, those prophets, they were God's mouthpiece. The Spirit inspired them and they were empowered to speak the Word of God. They wrote it down. And through them, God made Himself known to His people. And the right response? Well, the right response was to listen. It was to trust. It was to obey, to listen to His Word and trust and obey. That's the shape of the, of, of the life of the person who is in relationship with God. And we saw it so clearly in that reading from Deuteronomy chapter 4, didn't we? Do you know what's going on in Deuteronomy chapter 4? Well, God's people are on the edge of the promised land and Moses is addressing them just before they go in and he's speaking to them about what life will look like for them in the land if they are to follow God's word. And as he speaks the word of God to him, it'd be great if you could open up Deuteronomy chapter 4. He says this in verse 10. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 10. Verse 10, remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, which is Sinai, when he said to me, assemble the people before me to hear my words, so they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens with black clouds and deep darkness. Verse 12, then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow and then wrote them on two stone tablets. There's a few things to notice here. Do you see how central the Word of God is to be to the life of His people? It's spelt out even more clearly in the rest of the chapter. The Word of God is to dominate and to shape and their entire life. The Word of God is to be met with listening and to trusting and obedience. And notice too that in verse 12, when they met God on the mountain... They didn't see any form. There was no form to God. They only heard a voice. They only heard a voice. And that's, that's, that's really important for us to get our head around. Because God makes himself known not in pictures, not in actions, not in buildings. He makes himself known in his word. In his word. And that's why in verse 15, Moses goes on to warn the Israelites against idolatry. Verse 15, you saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape. Now, what's the attraction of an idol? Well, I think it's because it's something to see. 
It's something concrete that you can look at. And something you can focus your attention on. But for God's people, idols are completely inappropriate because God is a God who speaks. He is a speaking God, which means that he's... It means that if his people, if he is a speaking God, it means that his people are a listening people. His people are a listening people. They're not a looking people. They're a listening people. They live by faith and not by sight. And so God's people don't worship a silent statue. They worship a speaking God. The life of worship is always spent listening. It's spent listening because God reveals himself through his word. And as he reveals himself through his word, his people listen. And they trust. And they obey. Hebrews chapter 1 said, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. But that was nothing compared to what was to come. For the writer of the Hebrews continues in verse 2 of chapter 1. Uh, something even more incredible has happened. Verse 2, uh, Hebrews chapter 1. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir over all things and through whom he made the universe. Did you hear that? Do you see how incredible that is? That God is making himself known in his word is fantastic, but it reaches this astonishing climax in the arrival of his son, the Lord Jesus. And in him he has spoken his final words. And so in, in John chapter 1 we read, The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. In the past God spoke his word through the prophets, but in these days he has spoken his word through his son. Uh, in Jesus' ministry, there was this amazing moment. Uh, and it was an amazing moment. It happened up on a mountain. No coincidence there. Um, Jesus is up on a mountain. He's up there with Peter, James, and John. And, and as Peter, James, and John watch Jesus, this incredible thing happens. Jesus is transfigured before them. And all of a sudden, his clothes become whiter than white, almost unbearable for them to look at. And then as if that wasn't enough, uh, then appeared next to Jesus, Moses and Elijah having a chat with Jesus, kind of having a yarn with the two great prophets of the Old Testament. And then if that wasn't enough, then suddenly there's a cloud and out of the cloud comes the voice of God and God spoke these words. He said, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Listen to him. You see, as the people of God in the Old Testament Listen to the words spoken through the prophets, people like Moses and Elijah. So now we are to listen to Jesus, God's final word. God's final word. He's not a different word. He's not a new word spoken in uh, new word to that spoken in the past. He's the same word. He's the same word. The kind of Jesus standing there chatting with Moses and Elijah. It shows us that there's continuity between God's word from the old and new. But Jesus, it says, is. God's ultimate word. There can be no fuller word. There can be no final word. No more final word. There can be no more authoritative word from God than the word become flesh. Than the word in Jesus. And so if someone comes to you and they tell you that they have a new word from God, you can confidently say to that person, no thanks. I've got God's final word. And it's Jesus. 
And there is nothing more to add. And Jesus, he revealed God. He made him known. But he did more than just kind of arrive and teach. Uh, If you've you've been paying close attention, you'll realise that there's a problem still. For us to truly know God, we need to overcome our wickedness. We need to overcome our sin. We need to uh, overcome that somehow. And God has done it for us. You see, the Word of God, the Word of God was also the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so He died for us so that we could know God fully. And beyond His death, Jesus rose and He ascended and He is now seated at the right hand of God in glory. And from there He pours out His Spirit into the hearts of His people. And that same Spirit that inspired the prophets of old to speak the Word of God, and that same Spirit that carried along the apostles as they bore witness to Jesus, that Spirit now dwells in the hearts of God's people. And why is that important? Well, now the people of God, through Jesus, we have the privilege of God's Word being written on our hearts by His Spirit. To have the Word of God, as James will tell us, is planted in us. That's what Jesus accomplished as He made the Father known. We can have God dwelling in us by His Spirit, revealing His his Word to us, revealing God to us. Now, we've covered a lot of ground and maybe we've gone pretty quickly through that. So, um, if you've struggled to keep up, now's the time to tune back in. Uh, you can lift your heads up. Um, there's been a lot of detail, but, the, the, but what I really want you to see this morning is very, very simple. It's very, very simple. And here it is. On our own, we have a problem. On our own, it is impossible for us to know God. But God graciously and lovingly makes himself known to us by his word. In the past he spoke through the prophets, but now he has spoken to us through his son, Jesus. Jesus is the word that has come, the word that has died for us, the word that has risen for us, the word that has given us God's spirit to unite us to him and to the Father. And so for those of us who belong to Jesus... We can truly know God. We can truly know God. So what's the right response to such incredible things? Well, it's the same as it always has been for God's people. It's, our response is to listen, it's to trust, and it's to obey the word of God to listen, it's to trust, and it's to obey the Word of God. Now, you might be wondering, how is it that we can listen to the Word of God? You know, with the, you know Hebrews talks about in the, with the prophets in the past, uh, and now Jesus is in heaven. Where do we find the Word of God? Um, well, the answer is it's in the Bible. For us here and now, the final and full and finished Word of God is in the Scriptures. Now, I can see some of you looking at me going, Andrew, um, thanks, that's obvious. I knew that before I walked in. The Bible is the Word of God. That was a long kind of detouring way to get there. You've wasted 30 minutes of my precious Sunday morning to tell me something I already knew. Um, If you already knew that and if you're already convinced of that, that is a good thing. And it's not wasting our time to be reminded of that glorious truth again. Because we need to keep reminding ourselves. We need to keep reinforcing the truth to ourselves that God speaks to us 
through the Bible. That God's word is found in the Bible. Jesus, he repeatedly taught that the Old Testament is the word of God. And Jesus appointed apostles with the task of recording the New Testament. And like the prophets of old, the apostles were inspired by God's Holy Spirit in their preaching and their teaching and their writing. And so if we want to hear God speak, where do we go? Well, we go not to a temple and not to a cathedral. And we don't go to a person and we don't go to a guru. And we don't need to kind of manufacture a particular spiritual experience. If we want to hear God's voice, if you want to have God speak to you, you go to the Bible. And we need to keep reminding ourselves of this. We need to keep coming back to this because this is actually a truth that's always under attack. It's always under attack. You see, the church is at risk, just like the Israelites were at risk on the edge of the promised land, always at risk of forgetting or ignoring or overlooking the words of God. Going looking for an image or an experience or some other way of accessing or relating to God other than through the word. Rather than through Jesus, the word become flesh. I mean, even within the church, there is pushes and pulls to uh, hear the voice of God in places other than the Bible, to experience God in other ways. Uh, People will look to creation or they'll look to church traditions or they'll look to worship experiences or they'll tell us to look within ourselves to hear the voice of God. But we've got the Bible. We don't need to look any further. Uh, A friend of mine, um, he's another minister, he was uh, going away on a clergy retreat with his denomination for a couple of days. Uh, And it was to be a silent retreat. Uh, They were not allowed to have phones or computers or books no, nothing. They weren't allowed to talk to each other. The whole thing was supposed to be done in silence. And the reason was they wanted them to be in silence so they could sit there in silence for a few days and listen for the voice of God. Now, my friend asked if he could take his Bible. And initially they said no. But after a bit of to and fro, they reluctantly said yes. Now, this is a retreat for people who are supposed to be leaders of churches and they're told to leave their Bible at home and just look inside themselves to hear the voice of God. What foolishness. God makes himself known by his word. The full and finished word of God is in the scriptures and he has given us his Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts to that word so that it might shape our hearts and our minds and our lives. Do you want God to speak to you? Open the Bible. In it, God reveals himself to you as his, through his son Jesus, his final word. So listen, trust, obey. And look, let's not make the mistake of thinking that the Bible is a dead word or a dated word. Let's not make the mistake of thinking that reading the Bible is boring. The word of the Lord, it stands forever. The word of the Lord, the Bible says, is living and active. The word of God is the sword of the Spirit. Now, if we think that the Bible is boring or lame or dry... That's because we've lost sight that it is God's word to us. God is speaking to you through the Bible. 
And the same Spirit that inspired the writings of the Word of God, the same Spirit that brings, the, brings this Word uh, into being, He lives in us. And He works in us powerfully and personally whenever we meet God willing to listen to His Word and to trust His Word and to obey His Word. Now, although the Bible was written at different times and in different places, the Word of God is not bound by history or geography. When we open the Bible, the Spirit of God speaks to us now. God makes Himself known to us now, just as clearly as He ever has. In the Bible, we encounter the living God. We hear His voice. Just like Israel did at Sinai, just like the disciples did sitting at the feet of Jesus, just like the early church did as they heard the preaching of the apostles. In the Bible, we encounter the personal, the pers- we, we, in the Bible, we encounter personally the living God. We hear him speak. We hear him revealing himself to us. And so I want to finish by asking a question. I want to finish by asking a question. Do you know God? Do you know God? Now, I'm not just asking, do you know things about God? Um, But I'm asking, do you know God? Do you know God as your God? Do you know him as your Father? Do you know him as your Creator, as your Saviour, as your Friend? The old saying, it's not what you know, but who you know. Well, it's true here as well. It's not what you know about God. It's whether you really know God. Do you have a relationship with him? Do you know God in that way? If you don't, I can't tell you how important it is to truly know God. If you don't know him, get to know him. Get to know him as he's made himself known. Get to know him as he speaks to you through the Bible. There is no more important thing you could do in your life than to enter into a relationship with God, enter into a relationship with the God who speaks, the God who speaks a trustworthy word to you. And if you do know God, cherish his word. Hear his voice. Don't don't buy the lie that we need to hear him speak somewhere else. Don't buy the lie that his word is dry and boring. Psalm 19 says this, For the person who knows God, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing, refreshing to the soul. And here it is, the word of the Lord, the words of the Lord, they are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. God has revealed himself to us. He has spoken And our response is to listen and to trust and to obey. And if we know God, if we know him, it'll be a great delight to hear him speak. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. We thank you that you have spoken through the prophets and that you have ultimately spoken through your son, Jesus. We thank you that we can have your word revealed to us by your spirit and we can read it in the Bible. Lord, help us to love your word. Help us to listen to it, to trust it and obey it. 
And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.